6-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Hey, kids, comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. And welcome to this week's Hey Kids Comics. Uh, continuing our look at characters that we've neglected to look at in the past. Uh, a couple of bits of business before we start off today. I recorded a Two True Freaks special last week. That's already Yes, I am a whore. That's already up. I did that with Chris Honeywell. It was all about Dead Set and The Walking Dead. Both zombie horror things that are both... Well worth checking out if you've not seen any of them. Uh, it was excellent. It was an excellent conversation. Chris did a really good job editing it. It's up there. It's episode 200 and something. I forget which which number. But it's really good. It's called The Walking Dead Set. Look it up. I really enjoyed doing it. And it was okay. great to be part of it. Uh, fantastic cast with Mighty Steve Lacey continues apace. I've no idea which episode's going up at this point. You know we should do. As we record this. Uh, you know in comics where they have a, a tie-in of like three different titles. In yes. Which we should do. A three-way tie-in with other podcasts. I've thought about that, yeah. but I've thought because of when we record and how we record, how would you make that? You'd have to. Everybody would have to be in advance for that one episode. Yeah. So it would be a bit of a nightmare today. But anyway, check that out because it seems to be getting quite good reviews. Um, from have you know, yes, from us. <laughs> we will leave our own iTunes <laughs> reviews because we're quite sad like that. Um, you know what we've not done? What we've not introduced ourselves. No, we've not. I am Andrew Leyland. I'm not Michael Leyland anymore because I thought I'd have to introduce myself again this week. Sorry, I do apologise about that. Uh, the first thing I want to mention, I was in Manchester today, which is always nice because I get to have a look around comic shops. And I got, in the reduced section of um, Travelling Man, the Rocketeer Jetpack Treasury Edition, which is gorgeous. I've never read anything from the Rocketeer. Although I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the film, which you probably don't like because you're what's, a Philistine. What's the difference between the normal edition and the Jetpack Treasury edition? I have no clue, but I just saw this and couldn't resist it because it's fantastic. The art's by Dave Stevens. It's it's published by IDW. I have no idea how old it was. Because it's published by IDW, it's a movie. Yeah, that's true. So I bought it. Um, and if I like it, we'll cover it on the show because it was really good. Uh, before we, we kick off, that on the show? we're going to read an email that arrived earlier on today, which oh, I thought you would like very much. It okay. is by the aforementioned Stephen Lacey. Alright. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Um, who has crawled out of the woodwork as a Grant Morrison fan. Alright. To defend his idol. <laughs> Here's what Stephen said. Just a quick note, Michael, you're in the right. Andrew, <laughs> that high horse you're on regarding new X-Men, climb the... Except that reading part X of an X part storyline isn't going to be a good place to jump into his story and go and read his run from the start. Cheers. <laughs> I'll, I'll just let that stand. I, I mean, obviously, I'm going to have to bleep it because the concept of family friendly eludes Stephen in some way. You see that that light there shining from my eyes? <laughs> Sun shines out of my behind. Uh, I'm just going to say, no, it sucked. Um, oh god, this is going to start an argument. <laughs> moving swiftly on. <laughs> Uh, this week, on our mighty, mighty show of shininess, we're covering The Thing. I think this was a request. Was it? I think so. I'm sure on Facebook... See, the problem with doing it on Facebook is... Facebook. Um, is I never remember the conversations that I've had because my memory is notoriously spotty. Well, yeah. As we've mentioned quite a few times. And I'm sure somebody on Facebook said to me, that will you be looking at the thing? Not my thing. <laughs> that would be bad. I've looked at that enough. Just put a picture up on the repetitive strain injury from from doing that as part of your character thing after Secret Wars. And, I, and it was Ben. It was Ben Rush. I'm sure, it was right. Ben Rush. And um, I said that we were going to do an overview of what happened after Secret Wars, which was fine. 
Oh yeah, we didn't really know what we were doing with this, to be honest with you. We're kind of winging it and going from character to character, putting right what once went wrong and hoping that each time will lead us to a comic we want to talk about. But when he mentioned that, when he mentioned doing the thing, it got me to thinking. Oh, and I, thinking. Oh, thinking, yes. And I quite like the thing. So I went, and for my choice this week, I picked Marvel 2-in-1, issue 50 which came out on January the 2nd, 1979, and has an April 1979 cover date. I have no recollection of where I got this issue from. I know I've had it a long time now, uh, and it doesn't appear to be second-hand in that there are no prices written on the cover or anything, so I must have bought it somewhere along the line, but I I don't remember. Uh, It's a very interesting cover. I quite like the cover. Uh, there's a fair bit of cover coffee stating this is the big 50th issue and the thing battles the thing and only one will survive, which is a very striking cover. The art depicts the thing as he looked all those years ago in the early days of the FF versus the more familiar Rocky thing as he appears today. Or today when this issue was published. Well, only one will survive because both of them can't die and only one of them can't survive. Because if the thing from the past died, the present thing die as well. Yeah, well, see, that's it. Have you read this? I have. Ah, well, see, so you're, you're just playing with us there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see. Uh, old oh, Thing is about to hurl something heavy at New Thing, who's spoiling for a fight. I thought it was excellent. I like that cover a lot. I think it's really good. Uh, the amount of rubble on the floor gives away that this is George Perez. Is it? Yes. yes. Uh, inked by Joe Sinnott, and it gives it away as well, the fact that he actually signed it. Well, I, I didn't see that, because ne- next, next to the... Not notice that, next to the little barcode thing. Yeah, I don't look at the barcode. Uh, uh, and it's old school in all the good ways. It's not part X of an X part storyline, so obviously some people won't like it. Uh, interesting to compare and contrast this edition to the US edition. Still only 35 cents has been replaced with a 12 pence, but the barcode remains, which is very uncharacteristic. Um, Marvel Comics Group across the top has been replaced with Marvel All Colour Comics. Uh, the reason for this is, I've mentioned before, that when I were a lad, e during the war, during the war, because there's always a war, oh, yeah. <laughs> flashback to, isn't it, Flat Falklands Islands for me, yeah. when I were a lad, there were a war on. Uh, Marvel Comics had a healthy UK newsagent presence with a number of titles, and because of this, the US editions were not readily available. Blah, 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 bored you with all this before. Throughout the 70s, however, Marvel did start shipping over a number of books to their UK shows, and so as to differentiate between the Marvel UK output they had UK prices on, and the banner Marvel All Colour Comics instead of Marvel Comics Group. I recall these being issues of series not being published or not having their own titles, at the very least, by Marvel UK, like Captain America and Marvel 2 in 1, and there's a few others as well. I've got a few of these in my collection. Apparently, there are some collecting snobs. <laughs> define a collecting snob. Uh, well, in this case, there are some collecting snobs who believe these editions to be reprints or okay. second editions. But as far as my research on the interwebs... In which case, I typed in Marvel Allcomer Comics, and the first hit that came up, I read and took as gospel. Which is the way these things work. You're on Bleeding Cool, by any chance? No! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. That's me. Yes. Um, Apparently, these were printed at the same time on the same presses as the US counterparts, and all they did was flip a switch to change bits of the plate slightly. Uh, I've seen one website the aforementioned one website that I bothered looking this up on, uh, that claimed these overseas editions were printed first to get the presses rolled up. So technically, if you want to be a collecting snob about it, the American ones are reprints, and this is this is shiny and new. Well, maybe not. It used to be shiny and new. It used to be shiny and new. It's looking a bit past its sell-by now, isn't yeah. it? Unfortunately. It is! This is almost older than your mum. Only almost. Only almost. I've read comics older than you. That's true. We've got comics older than me. Yeah. Haven't we? We've certainly got comics older than you, but I've got underwear older than you. Uh, I'm wearing it, I think. Um, remembrance of things past. I've just turned it inside out for the past 16 years. Just keep wearing dropping it over. <laughs> Wear it on your head. Wear it on your feet. That kind of thing. Uh, remembrance of things past. The most fantastic 50th issue of all also the top copy state, uh, is written and penciled by John Byrne, him again, and inked by Joe Sinnott. Why Byrne didn't do the cover is lost to the ages. Uh, the letter was Jim Novak. The cover colours were by F. Mooley, or Moley, 
Or Miley, Moly Mooly, Miley Mooly, I don't I like Mooly. Yeah, okay. And the editor was Roger Stern, with Big Jim Shooter as editor-in-chief. The issue is dedicated to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, who started it all. Well, maybe not it all. I don't know if they were at the beginning of creation, but certainly they started the Marvel Universe. And Stan said, let there be Marvel! (laughs) Excelsior! And Stan said, Excelsior! (laughs) I quite like that. And Stan said, Jack, turn on that light. (laughs) Let there be light. And Jack said, I own my own characters. And Stan (laughs) laughed mockingly. And thus was the gospel according to Didio, who cannot write his good comics. Omak's pretty good. Forever wanting to be Stanley, for he cannot. Have you quite finished on this <laughs> diatribe? <laughs> the thing is trussed up in some kind of Kirby contraption, as Reed does tests. He's a bit bored since he's been here for nearly eight hours. Reed explains that, back in the day, Ben used to shift between the thing and Ben Grimm seemingly at random. And if you're listening to Fantasticast, an FF podcast hosted by Stephen Lacey and me, uh, you'd be aware of this if you'd listened to that shit. Uh, this was due to Ben's wink, body... Wink. Nudge, nudge. This was due to Ben's body trying to shed the cosmic rays, apparently. However, <laughs> but because Ben has been evolving over the years, this formula readers just whipped up would have cured him years ago, but won't cure him today. Why the hell didn't he do it instead of... Taking eight hours. Instead of punching up Neymar because he's stealing his missus. Ben says not to worry about <laughs> it and gets to thinking. If it won't work on him now, but will work on him in the past, then he'll give it to himself in the past. Activating Doom's time machine, Ben sets the time clock to a few months after the FF's fateful encounter with Cosmic Rays. Appearing in the past, Ben encounters Reed and Collins, the Baxter Building's owner, and beats feet to find himself, literally. At his old apartment building, Ben causes a woman to pass out, and Think Prime overhears and tells Thing 79 to turn and face him. Thing Prime clocks Thing 79 and he smashes into a car. A huge fighty McFightenstein follows. Thing Prime wraps Thing 79 up in the tarmac as Thing 79 tries to explain. But Thing Prime isn't having any of it and hefts Thing 79 aloft to take him to Reed. Thing 79 busts loose and pounds on Thing Prime, but Thing Prime hurls him towards a construction site. Thing 79 punches back, but Thing Prime rips up a fire hydrant and pummels Thing 79. Thing 79 pulls up the cables for the fire hydrant and throws Thing Prime into a car. Taking the initiative, Thing 79 is about to dump a sanitation truck on Thing Prime before he realises that if he kills Thing Prime it wouldn't go too well for Thing 79. This it- sounds like the world's deadliest <laughs> uh, <laughs> World's deadliest thing. <laughs> uh, he tosses the truck aside and the things wail on each other until Thing 79 goes for the KO. With Thing Prime down, Thing 79 gives him Reed's formula and he changes back into Ben Grimm. The Thing returns to the present where he's told that the past is immutable. He's not changed the past, rather made an altered reality whereby the other guy was never the thing. Ben says it ain't so bad. Compared to his old self, he's a good-looking bloke. Ben Prime says that punches the re- reality and changes <laughs> past continuity. <laughs> ben Prime. Was it called Superboy Prime? Yeah. All right, because I ripped that off J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, Spock Prime. All right. That's where I nicked it from. Was it called Superboy Prime? We punched reality and yeah. changed everything so that nothing made sense anymore. Yeah. All I have to do was get Barry Allen on the treadmill, I suppose, though. Yeah, you should have got him on the cosmic treadmill. Yeah. I'd have bought that. Oh, wait, you've not read Flashpoint. No, I've not. <laughs> I think I might just have ruined that for you. Nah, I'm not bothered. Fair enough. Uh, page one, I thought was very Kirby. I didn't ask you what you thought of that cover. Is that all right? No, it's quite good. <laughs> page one <laughs> Damn it, is very Kirby-esque, with all the machinery having a very Kirby look to it, and even a little bit of Kirby crackle on Ben's chest. I like the splash page a lot. These are pretty much the iconic versions of the characters as I remember them. I don't see why Reed has to stretch his arm just to press a button in front of him. Is Maybe that, he just can't reach is it. Is that to show us that uh, he, he can stretch? Yes. Right. Short. Visual acuity. Oh, okay. Economy of storytelling. Well, Brian Hitch wrote an entire book about that. What about Reed Richards stretching? <laughs> no, about... Economy of storytelling. Shorthand, yeah. No, Brian Hitch did that, did he? Mm. Really? He wrote an entire book about it. Oh, fair enough. But if you want to read it. I've, I think I flipped These through. lines here, those ones at the top of people's heads, it's telling you some stuff's going down. Ah, uh, some stuff's going down, brother. Yeah. Page two, 
To move swiftly on, since we just seem to be talking nonsense tonight. Tonight? Yes. <laughs> How is the tonight any different to any other show? Uh, we have one of the first examples, maybe the first, of Burns' addiction to fixing things. <laughs> Here he gives, it has to be said, a plausible explanation for why the thing looks so different from his first appearances. In some cases, Burn fixing things would be a minor like this and add to the characters, and sometimes it would show a marked disrespect for other writers' work, even if his end goal was a noble one, the vision in West Coast Avengers and his blatant disregard for anything that happened in between his She-Hulk runs. Exhibit A, my lord. Uh, although Stan and Jack gave an in-story reason for the Thing's different appearance in FF10. Alright. According to The Thing, yeah. Jack drew him wrong. Well, it's, well, what Burn here is trying to say, that um, he's correcting how The Thing looks, when all he could have just said is, Kirby wasn't a good uh, artist. Oh, <laughs> God! Um, he drew the you realise now Stephen's going to have to email back and say that you're wrong. He, You've just blown all that goodwill. He drew the thing looking like a mudslide. He can't draw women and he certainly can't draw fire. Uh, I quite like Jack Kirby. He draws fire like ink spots. We're, We're not, not a Jack Kirby band. podcast. Actually. Fortunately. <laughs> we have an excuse to be one this time. Okay, fair enough. We're doing two Kirby characters. Yes, but Jack Kirby did not draw this issue. No, he, he did Three, if you count the thing twice. Okay. <laughs> Page three. Covering three. As I desperately try to dig Michael out of the hole he's digging himself into. Oh, God, if you thought me slagging Grant Morrison was going to bring the Grant Morrison fans out of the, out of the <laughs> ooze, then slagging off Jack Kirby. Surely, surely what I'm doing is a lot more dangerous, though. Yeah, I would have thought so. Even Morrison's going to be coming after me. <laughs> Page three. Moving swiftly on, Doom's platform looks exactly like it does in FF5, which is a lovely little attention to detail. I also like that the platform travels in time, not space. Ben is still in the Baxter building when he arrives, albeit a dusty, emptier version. Uh, and we don't see the date of the FF's journey. Did you notice that? Of course, the fact that it was 19-something kind of dates the book now. Yeah. But this was over 30 years ago that this comic was published. Page 4, Reed is shown around the Baxter building by Collins the Landlord, who would remain the Landlord until Reed bought him out in a later issue of Fantastic Four. Collins was a pretty permanent fixture in the book for a while, as was the running gag about the FF having a Landlord, which flatly contradicts the early issues where Reed was seen to own yeah, I, I, the Baxter building, but whatever. See, when I read the early issues, I was, I was sure that... He just rented it out because they only own the top part of the Baxter building. See, in the early, earliest ones, he says he owns the building. Right. He never spe- So I suppose you could argue he I've owns the top the early, five early floors. Well, wouldn't the thing had made some noise sneaking past Reed? But even then, when he arrives, mm-hmm. it's one big empty room, right? Yes. Then the next panel, he's opposite the elevator. The next panel, Reed and Collins comes out. Yes. And then the thing, he can't see the thing, and the next thing, the thing's just right behind him. Where, where did he hide? So, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah, he is stood in the middle of quite a large room, if ultimately we're led to believe that this will house the Fantastic Four's headquarters, because yeah. we've seen the cutouts of the Baxter building yeah. in the early Fantastic Four issues, so they're quite big rooms, because they house the Pogo plane, the Pogo plane, <laughs> in the robot, the Pogo plane... The pogo plane and I said posse. Yeah, that would be so funny. If the pogo plane had a spring under it. <laughs> Doing that's how it launches into space without wrecking the building with all its fire flames. Just can't get past the ocean. Doing got water, my only emesis. <laughs> nemesis. Nemesis. So yes, it, it does beg the question: where the thing hides? Yeah. That's a good I, I, I do like the uh, stretchy arms and not the stretchy uh, shirt, though. Yes, his clothes. Reed hasn't invented unstable molecules yet. Apparently. Yeah, he invented unstable molecules. No, does he, he discovers unstable molecules, doesn't he? He doesn't invent them. And then he, he coats his clothes. Is that right? And then all the clothes. I can't remember, to be honest with you. Must be. Yeah. Well, on page seven. Yes. The thing, he, he wastes. Thing Prime. He, no, this is Thing 78. Nine, even. No, that's Thing Prime. Thing 79 is. Our thing. Whereas that's old thing. Yeah. Thing Prime. Oh, so... Right. So Thing Prime just wasted a perfectly good shirt, though. Oh, yes. I mean, no wonder Reed had to make him so many clothes <laughs> to fit him all the time. He kept ripping the ones he did have. Maybe that's why he just took to wearing a nappy. Well, yeah. Because he, he... Well, he did stuff like that all the time. He'd just rip himself out of a shirt for no reason. Oi, women! <laughs> Look at me! I'm Sandra D. Uh, page six... 
full page splash of Thing Prime and Thing 79. I think that's pretty damn cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. Old Thing is kind of ugly, isn't he? Clayface. Yes, he does look a bit like Clayface. Well, I like how the old thing talks. He, he talks as as if Stan was writing them. Yeah, it's it's very good how he, he has subtly differentiated the speech patterns. I mm. quite like that a lot. Uh, page eight. It's a lovely little touch that Thing 79 recognises how bitter and resentful he was, but also they engaged in wanton destruction. <laughs> Think Prime also thinks that Thing 79 looks pretty cuddly compared to him. Because <laughs> he does, really, doesn't he? Yeah. He's, I mean, as much as you'd want to cuddle a bag of bricks. <laughs> Who knows? Page 10, love the rubble when Thing 79 breaks away in panel 2. In fact, the entire fight scene in this is pretty good. Extended fight scenes in comics can either be really good or really bad, and this is one of the really good ones. Page 14's final panel and the full page splash on page 15 are all pretty damn good. Thing Prime is portrayed more as the Hulk than the Thing, but Thing 79 is still compassionate to his younger self, albeit after wanting to kill him. So, you know, one of the things that stood out in reading old FF issues is the Thing and Johnny and Reed and Sue weren't terribly likeable characters, even when they were the heroes. Uh, I've, I've, I've done my case numbers different to yours. Yeah. I've actually done what was written on the bottom. Oh, right, okay. Well, on the actual page 15. Yes. When Thing Prime goes, Doc Doom, you expect me to believe such a cornball name? <laughs> so, what? You don't believe a man would want to be called Doc Doom, but you're all right being turned into a rock monster and three other people being turned into rubber, invisible, and fire. Especially seeing as Doctor Doom is actually his name. Yeah. His name is Victor Von Doom. You didn't make that up. I mean, I don't know if he's got a real doctorate. <laughs> I mean, he was at college and I then have he ran a away. Doctorate in Doom. That's a thought. I wonder if anyone's ever said to him, "You're not a real doctor." Shut up. You got given your degree. Yeah, you didn't work for it. It makes me sound big. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> Read! <coughs> Be mean! You're picking on me! Uh, on page 23, I do like how the builder thinks they're Martians. <laughs> That's very funny. But you've just made me think, actually, can you imagine Doctor Doom going up and getting his diploma? <laughs> his degree. Wearing the funny little flat hat. <laughs> Doom does not wear flat hats! Doom wears cape. Green cape. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> oh, do you, mate? Check out my hard metal. Dum dum. <laughs> uh, page 15, because we are getting a bit confused on the page numbers on this. I do apologise, but what's happened is there are page numbers at the bottom of the page, but it numbers the comic rather than the stories. So it goes from page 23, then there's two pages of ads to page 26, and Michael's looked at the proper page numbers, whereas I've counted the comics pages. Yeah. So we've Are got a bit so confused. you so used to having no page numbers? I'm so used to having no page numbers that I actually just counted the pages. Uh, page 15... I remember when I read this a young gun, I was really quite surprised that the thing succeeded in curing his other self. Kind of a kill us both Spock moment. The ending on page 16 is all the more poignant. I can never say poignant. Poignant. Uh, that in true Marvel fashion, even though the thing won, he lost. I do like that Ben's shorts don't fit him. Yeah. Something that bugged us about Secret Wars, wasn't it? That Ben would change from Ben to the thing and his shorts would still fit. Whereas here he's quite clearly holding them up so we don't well, see little things. Maybe recently he's invented stretchy pants. Unstable molecules. Yeah. Maybe they move with it. Uh, all told, I thought this was an excellent and really fun tale. However, it is a time travel story. So it's quite easy to pick nits. Whilst the ending up in an altered reality explains why Thing 79 doesn't remember meeting Thing Prime, and why he's still the thing. It doesn't explain how he got back to our reality. As we learn from Back to the Future Part 2, by altering the timeline, Ben... I know, we've just got this image now of Doc Brown with a big blackboard. This thing, 1985! This is 1985A! <laughs> this is Thing Prime! Now pay attention, Marty! This is what you arrived. Now this <laughs> is where Thing Prime arrived! We call this a flashpoint, and after that we don't know what the hell happens. <laughs> Paradox. Um, as we learned from Back to the Future 2 from the esteemed Dr. Emmett Brown. Who you met? Who I've met, yes. Not Christopher Lott. Like, oh, no. I've met some guy <laughs> pretending to be Doc Brown at Universal Studios. I don't know if he counts as meeting Doc Brown. Uh, by altering the timeline, Ben should only be able to return to the altered future, so the thing would exist simultaneously with Ben Grimm. Only Ben returned to the reality he'd left behind, not the altered timeline. How? Wibbly wobbly. Because sometimes might say. not even John Byrne can fix everything. No. This is fixed 
I told you he was addicted to fixing things ah. in something that we're, we're going to talk about in a minute. But being as this is a 1970s book, there are some cool ads and <laughs> other stuff in the book. The letters page spills the beans on upcoming plans for this comic, including upcoming stories by creative folks such as Frank Miller and Byrne and Stephen Grant. And there's a little caricature of John Byrne in the top corner. I don't know who drew it. Maybe Byrne himself, I don't know. He puts himself into Marvel comics a lot. Uh, the Bullpen Bulletin's page is about Steve Ditko's return to Marvel with plugs for Power Man and Iron Fist, the 100th issue of Conan and Howard the Duck. Ads in the issue, which are always the best bits of 1970s comics, other than the actual stories, which are pretty cool, include um, superhero hang-ups, which were 2.5 feet tall, corrugated cardboard cutouts of your favourite Marvel and DC characters and they had little swivels on the wrists and the legs so you could move the legs and their arms I had Spider-Man and Batman yeah I had them on my wall when I was a kid I must have been about this age 1979 not not 1979 years old obviously (laughs) unless I'm Methuselah but when I was about eight yeah. Say seven or eight. I did actually have them on my wall. They were cool. I wonder what ever happened to them. I had both of them, Spider-Man and Batman. Very good. Very Nan's good indeed. Yeah, probably. You're too old for these now. And you probably took them down. Along with your t-shirt and your little gun. Yes, my little Starsky and Hutch gun, which she didn't like because she didn't like me playing with guns. Um, but boys can make guns out of anything. So. Uh, there are stickers, pens, patches and painting kits. There are ads for superhero posters with your first order from the Marvel Superhero Prize Club and a full colour poster spectacular offer offering posters of Cheryl Ladd, Farrah Fawcett Majors, this was the 70s, Linda Carter, Susan Anton, The Coneheads, Kiss and Giant McNichols. I've no idea who Giant McNichols <laughs> is. Because that's all it says, isn't it? Giant McNichols. Yeah. Was that her first name? <laughs> Surname? I don't know. Um, Excuse me, Miss Giant. <laughs> yes, maybe she was called that for a reason, I don't know. Uh, not showing her posters for Clint Eastwood and Grizzly Adams, the Hardy Boys and Donnie and Marie, amongst others. I commend the taste of the person who decided to show her as a picture of Linda Carter yeah. and not a Grizzly Adams. <laughs> Just want to pretend I know who Grizzly Adams is. Grizzly Adams was a television show in the late 70s about this guy who went off and lived in the wilderness oh so he was Bear Grylls yeah yes basically but I think he was based on a real person yeah but I don't know I think oh, Dan Bear Grylls isn't based on a real person Bear Grylls is real <laughs> I bar before but Bear Grylls came in useful for me Did it? I used one of Bear Grylls tips what? I was going out for a beer yeah. with a couple of mates yeah. and I get to the shortcut underneath the, the railway bridge right. flooded couldn't get past so I walked all the way around came down through the trading estate got to the second bridge over the canal to go to the pub yeah. flooded couldn't get past and I remembered that Burr Grylls had said that if you were ever in such a situation what you do you take your clothes off you oh, wade uh, yes you wade through the water and then on the other side you get dressed again and you're dry so that's what I did how are you dry? because your clothes are dry so when you put them on and you dry you mock you not it worked. Now, I didn't take them all off. Because it was cool. Balls deep so, yeah, I took my shoes. <laughs> I didn't do that. I took my shoes and socks off, rolled my pants up to my knees, and walked through the flood. Right. And then on the other side, I put my socks and my shoes back on. And it works! I was toasty and warm. <laughs> Granted, I had cuts all over my feet. But Burgrills, I bow before the man. I bow before him. Uh, there's an obligatory... <laughs> that was a tangent, wasn't it? There's an obligatory, for the time anyway, Hostess Twinkies ad. This time featuring Spider-Man. Hostess Twinkies put in for bankruptcy recently. Did they? I believe that they did. I was, I was quite distressed That's about quite that. That's sad, yeah. Yeah. Um, before we move on, very quickly, before we move on to Michael's pick for this week... Um, Morrison fans, get ready. Yes! <laughs> Get ready for part X of an X-part story that I'm sure someone will try to convince me is actually a very good issue. It when is. It, when it's plainly crap. Um, very quickly. You know what? We've, we've, go John on. Byrne can kiss donkey poo. <laughs> <laughs> he probably can. That's very true. This show is very mature. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. This story did receive a direct sequel 
in Marvel 2 in 1 100, which was the last issue of the title, which came out the 26th of February, 22nd of February, sorry, 1983, entitled Aftermath, again written by Byrne, but the art was by Ron Wilson, Frank Gayakoya, and Kevin Zubin. It detailed how Reed was mistaken in his belief how Doom's time machine worked, and Ben didn't create an altered reality, it was already there. Yeah, of course. This conveniently gets around the plot holes in Marvel 2 and 150. So Ben decides to go and see how the other Ben Grimm's life turned out. Because apparently Reed was wrong about Doom's time machine. It doesn't travel in time, it takes to alter parallel universes. Oh, right. Parallel realities. So he cured a Ben Grimm of a parallel universe. Okay. Um, so Ben decides to go and see how the other Ben Grimm's life turned out, and it turns out it didn't turn out too well. The other reality is a post-apocalyptic wasteland. The Thing finds Ben, and he explains that Galactus showed up and ate the planet. In this reality, there was no Silver Surfer, apparently. And the Red Skull is in charge. Again, in this reality, Cap was never found. So in the aftermath of Galactus, the Red Skull thrived. With the Thing's help, Ben leads an insurrection and defeats the Red Skull's Fourth Reich. So, of course, one good thing happens, and the entire world is screwed. Yes. By not having the thing, the entire one, world one, is ruined. One man gets gets happiness and everyone else suffers for it. Yes. How unfortunate was that? That's that's almost as melodramatic as a guy not being able to talk, because if he does, he could destroy worlds. What's wrong with Black Bolt? <laughs> I quite like Black Bolt. Anyway, we'll take a short break and plug somebody else's show. Two True Freaks, I think, since I've appeared on their show this week. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, go and listen to all of their shows. They're all good. And all uh, we'll of them. be right... All 200 of them, yeah. <laughs> yes! I'm on at least three of them. You're <laughs> on a couple. Oh, yeah, speaking of which, speaking of Two True Freaks, hi, Scott, hi, Chris. They used you again in an episode they did very recently. How, how you know you that thing me? where they did the 200th episode and they asked you to oh, send it? Oh, Yeah. They, they used your girl, bling with the Tylenol bit again. Oh, I was right. quite impressed to hear that. So technically you've been on their show as well. Oh, okay. Very good. Uh, we'll be right back. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com I have no drink. Please let me get you a drink. No, it's fine. Do you want to do it on my back? I went back. I'm just laughing at me. You finished your little tune first. Very good. I'm very impressed with that. Is that part Oh, is this the most random episode we've ever done? Yes. Oh, dear. Is it just because we're both tired? We're like a drum solo. We are random, but we follow a beat. Do we? Oh, yeah. (laughs) We march to the beat of our own drum. We've we've got comics we're following. Uh, Yes, that's that's pretty true. Okay. Um, Right, fur dues. Um, What's your choice, Michael? Well, my issue... You ready, Morrison fans? (laughs) It's not a Grant Morrison issue. What a twist this is. No, it's not really a twist. You didn't pick a Grant Morrison one last week, did you? No. You picked a Jeff Loeb one. See, you see, I've started to try really hard to not do Morrison, which is why the next couple of shows in the future... Yeah, Michael does have a big epic show planned where I will be forced to read some more Grant Morrison. Two, as a matter of fact. Two, yes. So, what issue could I be doing? Oh, who knows? Well, well I know, obviously. Well, yeah, only us two. There's <laughs> a lot of comics to choose yet. from. Yeah. <laughs> well, my issue is Action Comics Annual 13 by Paul Cornell, Marco Rude, and guest starring a young Lex Luthor. I'm just going to start with you for a second, though. 
Okay. How does this fit into our popular character that we have inadvertently overlooked? Is Lex Luthor a popular character? I would imagine he is. Well, you go out into the street and ask someone... Uh, okay. Who's Lex Luthor? Yeah, and they'll know it's a, it's a Superman bad guy. Okay. Not a Batman bad guy, you... Uh, anyway, <laughs> you can't say that. He had a bag full of comics on it. It's like, um, oh, that's the death of Jean Grey. What? <laughs> this is the only trouble with all this merchandise, isn't I know. it? But, but, but anyway. Anyway, yeah. And, and we've not done Lex Luthor before. We haven't. That's no, very we, true. We've done him in. He in, was in Secret Origin, which we covered briefly. Action 900. Was he in Action 900? Yeah, it was you a, know, I don't he was a big bad guy. So we, we've done him less times than the thing, anyway. I don't remember Action 900 now. He turned into a big, big alien and... Oh, yeah, in the main storyline, it was part of the Return of Doomsday, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, I do remember that. I've obviously wiped that issue from my memory. It's quite decent. Okay, fair enough. Well, now you've read the whole thing. Well, I've got two issues left. Right, and fair enough. the last ever issue. Anyway, tell us more about this action comics of which you speak. All right, then. Well, also accredited are colorist Val Staples, letterer John Hill, and editors Will Moss and Matt. Idelson. I think that's Idelson. Idelson. American Idelson. I knew that. Mm. Also starring David Hasselhoff. I'm David Hasselhoff. <laughs> Who are you? I'm Spartacus. <laughs> nice to meet you. That would have been a much better SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> movie if Spartacus was in it. <laughs> Goddamn Sponge! Anyway. Well, this annual sportsy cover showing Darkseid holding a calm Lex Luthor over the fiery pits of Apocalypse by Ethan Van Skeever. Mm. Uh, I liked the cover, to be honest with you. I thought it was quite neat. Darkseid's very imposing, yeah. and I like that the man he's holding is very nonchalant. I kind of guess this was Lex Luthor, with the shock of red hair and the fact that it has Lex Luthor <laughs> on the cover of it. Twice. Um, Yes, and uh, it was confirmed on page one where we're told Lex is straight off the bus from Smallville. Well, with the with the cover, if I go back to the cover... Yes. Darkseid's arm is bigger than Lex Luthor. Yes. Well, Darkseid's a pretty big fella. Yeah. Well, have you seen the, the, the cover for the latest Hawk and Dove where Batman's thigh is much is bigger than all of Dove? No. It's Liffy. Is Hawk and Dove still a girl? Well, no, Dove is. Oh, right. Hawk's a guy. Oh, right. Okay, fair enough. It'd be funny if they became one. And, okay, let's move on. Two becomes one. The story starts on Lex's first day in Metropolis when he witnesses a man jump from a building and dies. What Lex dies? No, no, no. The man, the man oh, right. who jumps off the building. Oh. Lex just keeps on walking. He books into a hotel and wonders how he'll pay for the second night. You're what? missing something really funny there. He goes into the hotel, yeah. and he, it's obviously a very expensive hotel, because yeah. Lex Luthor, nothing but the best oh, yeah. for the greatest criminal mind of our time. And he pays with a credit card. Yeah. And the woman said, there's only enough on this for one night. And then he turns around and says, well, guess I'm going to have to go out and figure out how to pay for the second night then. Which I thought was very funny. I quite like that line. I thought it was quite funny. Good. Carry on. Whilst at a club, Lex is picked up by a man in a trench coat called Peter. No, not like that. Alright, oh, okay. Lex ducks. <laughs> <laughs> He's picked up by a man in a trench coat. And Would you thought... like to see some puppies? Like some... <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. They're in the back of my van. Yes. Uh, Lex deducts that it's Perry White working as an undercover reporter due to some hints like a, a long, like a loner causing trouble, the Daily Planet being the only paper that takes crime seriously, and Perry going by the name of Peter. Petey White. Yeah. Perry tells Lex that there's something behind the club that ha- and hasn't been able to find out what. A man walks out of a door c- telling Petey that Bruno wants to see him. Lex says that Petey thought he could introduce him to Bruno for a job. Bruno knows that Lex is lying, but Petey convinces him to let Lex have the job. And when Bruno comes out, Lex calls him by his last name, Mannheim. Apparently this is a big secret, and Bruno is impressed at Lex's intelligence and gives him the job. Six weeks later, bored at work, Lex begins to talk to Ty, the guy who works with Bruno. Before a door appears... Ty doesn't see this as he's too busy playing on a PSP approximately 20 years before they were invented to look up. Lex waits until Ty leaves before investigating the door, and upon touching it, he sees into Apocalypse. Darkseid tests Lex by killing a man in front of him and then shows him around Apocalypse. Darkseid tells Lex that he will work here so that he can reach his full potential to serve Darkseid in the the laboratory. When Lex asks will he be able to return home to serve him there... Darkseid tells him Apocalypse is now his home. I do like your spelling mistake there. Apollo Kips. 
<laughs> like a pollock hips more than apocalypse. <laughs> That's quite funny. <laughs> pollock hips. Excuse me, I'd like a bag full of apollock hips. Yeah, it does sound like chips. <laughs> After another six weeks, Lex tells Makari that he's had an idea for a new weapon, but that he needs a power source to make it work. Makari grants him a power source and he presents the new weapon to Darkseid. Darkseid, testing it, shoots Lex with a gun, but it backfires, taking out Darkseid instead. Lex makes a stand, telling all of his supporters to bow before their new master. Darkseid just stands above him, smirking, saying that Lex is all alone. He doesn't have uh, supporters after six weeks. Lex tells Darkseid that he should kill him, and he wouldn't acknowledge that an alien is his, is his superior. Darkseid just grows tired of Lex and turns away. And this annoys Lex, and he uses a gun to shoot the guards and escape by stealing a further box with three, uh, three of the power sources granted upon him. Yet another six weeks later, Lex thanks Perry for no for nobody coming to him after Perry outed the intergang. Perry says that he's moving up at the planet and offers Lex a job though, but he rejects it as some important people say he's worth more than that. Perry says that he'd like to meet Lex sometimes for a beer, and that they might be able to find out what Bruno was hiding. Lex also turns this down, saying that Perry thinks of him as a friend only because he employed him to save himself. He then threatens Perry, who calls him a kid. Perry says that he should just have outed him, but a mob intern turned industrial genius will be a story one day. So Perry just leaves, and Lex yells at him, only to find that Perry is gone. Meanwhile, Darkseid says that Lex will be the biggest fish in Metropolis, and that his intellect might always hold back his need. Boom, boom, boom. So, yes. this annual fits in with the Black Ring storyline. How? It was released. <laughs> it was released in the middle of it. Yeah. So that counts as being part of it. it, it I presume it's backstory to nope. the Black Ring storyline. Nope. <laughs> Is it front story? Nope. Oh. It's got nothing to do story except for it's by the writer and it's starring the main character. So is Darkseid not in the Black Ring story? Is, isn't that just... I've not read that, so isn't that just about Lex trying to get hold of a Green Lantern ring after Black Lantern Blackest ring. Night? But he finds a power source instead and goes to collect all 12 of them. Right, because you said that's quite good. It's quite good, yeah. Oh, OK, well, I'll, I'll give that a go one day. Now, I think the art in this is great. Mm. It's got a real J.H. Williams III vibe to it, <laughs> and some of the pages have borders around them that makes every page a piece of art. J.H. Williams the third. He's, he's not as good as J.H. Williams the second, is he? J.H. Williams the three, or... Or even the first one. First one was best. I don't know who the first two are. I have no idea either. J.H. <laughs> Williams the mover. <laughs> yeah, well, this one must have been the best, because we don't know who one and two are. That's a good point, yeah. J.H. Um, Williams the trilogy. <laughs> I'm not quite as sold on this as you are. I don't dislike it, by any means. I think the art's quite serviceable. There are some very fluid lines, and everybody looks different, which is always nice. Uh, everybody... Um, page one has a very Pat Oliff feel to it, who used to do um, Untold Tales of Spider-Man and Spider-Girl. There's also a very large manga influence, which I'm not as big a fan of as you are, especially on that opening splash page. I get that this is a generational thing, though. You've grown up with manga. Dragon Ball Z. Around everywhere, yeah, Dragon Ball Z. Uh, I do like the panel structures. Yeah. Some of the panel structures in this are really, really good. And I like how he plays around with how you read it. Yeah. You have to follow the balloons rather than the panels which I thought was quite an interesting way of telling his story. So I, I didn't... Yes, it was good. I didn't dislike it. It was fine. Well, I do like how page one has a little cartoon dock side. Got oh, that little block in the corner there. Yeah. <laughs> it is quite funny. Uh, the saga cell explaining who Lex is and how he came to be is a nice touch. Also being done in The Flash, isn't it? Yes. Where they tell you the little recap of who he is and how he came to be. Which would be great in Justice League Dark. Mm. And I note we are deep into the revised origin that Lex grew up in Smallville. Is this only. Re- is this not being around? Um, it's something that's come and gone over the years. As far as I remember, Lex wasn't from Smallville when he started out, but this was retconned when they started doing the Superboy strip. Because right. they wanted to have Lex Luthor around, so they kind of. So they could have a well-known... Yeah, and established that they were the same age and they grew up in the same small town. Similar to the Smallville television show. Yeah. Although Lex was out of high school in the TV show, wasn't he? And Clark Clark was still in high school. I I didn't watch Smallville. I don't think he was much older. Uh, It was erased from existence post-crisis, but has now been brought back by writers who feel that everything has to be connected. Mm. So... mm, 
it's this kind of woolly thinking that leads us to a joker that murders Batman's parents, isn't it? That everything has to be connected in yeah. some way. It's not a deal breaker for me that Lex is the same age as Superman. I just prefer a slightly older Lex. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the Gene Hackman influence. Uh, page two. There's an interesting juxtaposition on Superman's first appearance in Secret Origin. But whereas Superman saves a falling Lois, who isn't committing suicide, <laughs> has to be said, uh, Lex standing passively by. I did like that the surrounding crowd are either looking on in horror or looking away in horror. Uh, and Lex just couldn't care less. Yeah. you got to feel sorry for that guy's car, though, that he landed on. Suppose. Unless it was his car. In which case... Maybe that's why he chose that Possibly. He deliberately parked his car under the place where he was going to jump off. Mm -hmm. Because you can't confess to a suicide, can you? Suppose. So why why is a suicide illegal if you can't... Yeah, who'd you prosecute? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) At the end of it. Well, it's stuff like the insurance won't pay out, isn't it? Yeah. Insurance won't pay out if it was a suicide and stuff like that. So in that case, you're not really helping anyone, especially not your families or anyone else. Well, maybe you did the guy. didn't have a family. I don't know. I mean, he's not really given a lot of backstory, is he? (laughs) He's just said he's a a victim of the recession, and so he jumped off a building. I do like that he makes a big splat. (laughs) It's been a long time since I saw splat in a comic book. Street pizza. (laughs) Um, The Club Perry and Lexa rap, with (coughs) Darkseid being there, might have been a reference towards the Darkseid Club before Darkseid came to it in Seven Soldiers. Right. So there's a Darkseid Club that's nothing to do with Darkseid? No. Um, which we'll cover later on in a later episode. Yes. But you're already prepping, which I'm quite impressed about. Darkseid dies. Yes. But his entity... Is that when Batman shoots him with a bullet? No, no, no. This is when Orion rips his heart out. Excellent. Good. Okay. Darkseid dies. Monoram. 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 Sudoram. Backwards through time... Yes. ...to land in a human body... Who, who he calls Boss Darkseid. <laughs> Two words actually spelt right. Boss Darkseid. And he runs the club, the Darkseid Club. Oh, right, I see. Fair enough. Uh, page three, uh, Lex's arrogance beautifully portrayed and carried over onto pages four and five. Here we see Perry White, a little older than Lex, but Lex handles him smoothly. Uh, did you not think this scene reminded you of the bit in Casino Royale? where Bond and Vespa Linda trying to get the upper hand yeah. where they keep one-upping but each other about what they know about each other. My thing with Lex Luthor's arrogance and Paul Cornell's run on action comics is everyone is such a complete arrogant douchebag. Is that it's how he writes everyone? Pretty much, yeah. Oh. He's, he's got the Lois Atron. Who's oh, is that the, that's the robot that he's got yeah. built. He's built himself a Lois Lane sex doll. <laughs> is that much. right? Pretty much, yeah. Uh. But... Him and his Loisatron are pretty much the same person who keep going at it and are arrogant as each other. Right, okay, fair enough. Uh, page 8, Bruno Mannheim appears. Bruno Mannheim's the head of Intergang, which we find out during the course of this story. Uh, Bruno was a big player yeah. in the comics in, in the post-crisis Superman, wasn't it? The 90s, 80s and 90s. And he was in the 90s animated series, wasn't he, Bruno Mannheim? Mm-hmm. I think he was. I could be wrong. Oh, well, the bottom page 11, the bottom panel, Lex looks a lot like Sean Phillips, drawn by Sean Phillips. I really like that panel. I really like that it's kind of negative space, isn't it? Yeah. I really do. So you see, some of the art in this is really quite good. Page 12 has a very Mike Mignola feel to it. I do love the interdimensional portal to apocalypse. I kind of feel this page should be a bit more epic. It's not epic enough intro to Darkseid. While I don't disagree that it should be a splash page, Darkseid deserves a splash page mm. uh, I can't help but feel like Byrne or Romita Jr or Kirby would have killed with this page whereas Lex is just looking at Darkseid who's just kind of sat there he's just looking at Darkseid's sack yeah I do like the dialogue though where <laughs> he walks through the interdimensional portal and Darkseid's just stood there and goes yes <laughs> what do you want funny ginger boy <laughs> Good way. which is quite I, quite I mean I was amused by that well I, I like the page mm. that, but I think it's how Darkseid should be shown he's big and covered in shadows not stood there in bright colours I'm looking at you Lee <laughs> it also shows <laughs> that would be Jim well yeah, yeah. not Lee Majors no I, yeah. I thought his surname but that, that annoyed me just, okay. but, but anyway it also shows Desad 
Granny Goodness and the Furies. Apparently Metron isn't friends with Darkseid at the moment and the Black Racer is having fun in the Alps. Oh, fair enough. So, Did you get it? Ski? <coughs> yes, the skiing thing. I got, I got that. Was oh, okay. Very clever. Um, <coughs> I've not read Jack Kirby's Fourth World. It is on our me, list me of things either. to buy, isn't it? Yeah. In the fullness of time. But I do love some of the names. I love Granny Goodness and Desard. Desard. I quite like that. That's very funny. It Page like 13. tell a woman to do. Decide. <laughs> Make a decide, woman. Uh, page 13, Darkseid does Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. Where he goes, ho, ho, ho. Which amused <laughs> me, no end. He's like, what? Uh, I'm also glad that's, Dax... He, he, that's why he knows if you're awake or if you've been good or bad. <laughs> he knows bad. if you've been good or bad. <laughs> <He's Dax. laughs> but unlike Santa Claus, the only interest in you if you've been bad. Yeah. Come work for me, child. Yeah. Uh, Darkseid spelt out that he's just killed a man, which was yeah. good. He killed a man just to watch him die. Um, no. Well, in, in Apocalypse. Because the art doesn't make it terribly clear, really, does it? It, it doesn't, too. And I've, I read it twice just to check. Yeah, just because suddenly a guy appears in front of him and then he, he disintegrates. And because of the previous panel, the one that you think looks like Sean Phillips, I thought that was Lex screaming. Yeah. So I didn't... That wasn't terribly clear, storytelling-wise. Page 14... I'm not entirely sure I'm down with punning <laughs> dark side. I thought that was funny. Did you? Yeah. Ready your mind. There's a danger it might be blown. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's a subpar James Bond line, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, all right, I'll give you it made me smile. <laughs> but I'm... Um, it was like in that early issue of the Fantastic Four, which I'm harping on about because I've had to read them all recently, yeah. where Doctor Doom made a funny... <laughs> and it was just so out of character. Hey, read. Knock, knock. <laughs> <laughs> Who's there? Doom. Doom who? Doom. <laughs> I am Doom. <laughs> what more do you need? So, I don't, does Darkseid have a history of, of being a, a punster? I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Okay, fair enough. Uh, page 15 is a lot more epic. Uh, lots of Kirby crackle. As he swoops over Apocalypse. You see, I don't like this page. I don't like how every artist has to draw a Kirby character a Kirby way. It, I appreciate his contribution to comics and all, but I'm still waiting for the day that artists realise he can draw Apocalypse and the New Gods and read Rich's computers any way they want to. They don't have to follow Kirby just because he created these characters. Okay. I also don't think they should draw those funny little squiggly patterns on everything. <laughs> but if he's established that's what it looks like, would it not be a bit incongruous? To suddenly not have it look like that. Does our town look the same way it was when it started out? It's a good point. It's well put. Okay, I'm just going to let you bathe in the Jack Kirby <laughs> attacking that you're doing. Let people let people tell you to I'm, get off I'm, your high I'm horse. I'm not attacking it. I'm just saying I don't want artists to... Be you don't fun. want them to be slavish to him. Yeah, I want them to have their own... You want to see somebody else's version of Apocalypse. Yeah. Rather than Kirby reheated. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Well, there are some characters that some artists just aren't any good at as well. Like George Perez is a fantastic artist, but he can't draw Spider-Man. No. So maybe it's possible some artists just aren't suited to drawing Jack Kirby stuff. Hmm. I don't know. Um, on page 16, I do like that Lex finds Apocalypse wonderful. Yeah. Whereas everyone else always refers to it as Hell on Earth. Or on Apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> Lex actually finds it wonderful, which amuses me. Page 22... Lex is actually quite commendable in this story. Here we see him refusing to accept Darkseid as his master. He'll bow to no one, and he won't let Darkseid turn his back on him. Uh, I did read an interesting article once about... Um, on that one website. On that one website. Yeah, no, I read this in the newspaper. Oh, right. This was proper reading. Oh, so right. it counts as much better than the internet, because it's proper books. Mm. Um, about how successful businessmen were all psychopaths. Okay. In reality. Not the murdering, let's kill a bunch of nuns and take a flamethrower to a school bus right. kind of psychopaths, but the kind of ruthless, take-no-prisoners kind that you need to succeed in the business world. And Lex is just that to the nth degree, isn't he? Mm. It's especially telling at the end of the story, when Perry turns his back on Lex, Perry is every bit as strong-willed and ruthless in the pursuit of a story as Lex is, but Perry is tempered by compassion. Above all, a god needs compassion. I don't like reading though. Oh, do you like that? Yeah. Good. Uh, it's an interesting character study. I assume plays into the larger Black Ring arc. Nope. Would I assume incorrectly? Well, I like the penultimate page. Is that a bird? Is it a plane? Oh, wait, it's just a plane. <laughs> I think they've made that joke before, haven't they? Yeah, but... 
Um, have you noticed that the buildings in the page set in the past look a lot more futuristic than the buildings on the page set in the present? <laughs> I, I didn't notice that, but it could just be because in that one the sun's coming up so you can't really see them properly. Well, yeah. Um, also, the only thing that is actually carried over to the Black Ring really is uh, Lex telling Superman not to turn his back on him in Action 900. Alright, so is that set up for that? Is that like in Back to the Future where somebody calls Marty Chicken? Probably, yeah, yeah. And then later on down the line he has to accept that, otherwise he's going to ruin his life. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of Back to the Future references. There is. I am a sucker for Back to the Future references. Back to the Future references in a story about time. Yeah, it's weird. No, we're making lots of Back to the Future references. I don't think the story did. Um, All told, I quite enjoyed reading this. I thought this was quite a good pick. It's a good story, well told. I do remember when Action Comics had Superman in it, though. Or is that me being... He's buggering off when he's walking around the world. Oh, is this when Grounded was happening? Yeah. So this isn't when World of New Krypton was happening? No. Right, this, okay. this issue was released around the same time as Action 8, 9, 6. Right. And what issue of Superman was that then? 706. <laughs> was that just off the top of your head? No, it's up? actually okay. fairly accurate. Right, if you follow them, the numbers are the same because 700 was released when 890 was. Alright, okay, fair enough. Um, this issue had a second story that you don't seem to be too bothered about. Yeah, I, I didn't like that second story. Did you not? not really. um, well, basically, um, young Lex is trained by Rachel Ghoul, but betrays him by looking into a box designed by Kirby Inc., actually from Apocalypse, and Raj kills him, but has second thoughts and throws him in the Lazarus pit. It was by Paul Cornell again, and without by Ed Benez, or Beans, however you pronounce it. <laughs> I My, have a bowl full of Ed Beans. Uh, yeah, I thought he was alright. My main problem was that if Lex knew of the existence of a Lazarus pit... Would he not go looking for that It as would well? be his, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would have made it his by now. The art was nice, I suppose. Mm. Played against um, type for Ed Benes, in that there was very few gratuitous shots of women bending over. I think there was only one woman in the story, wasn't there? Yeah. A brief glimpse of Talia Al Ghul. She just stands there. Yes, there's, there we go. That's our choice for this week. Next week... Yeah. I'm quite excited about next week. I mean, I'll give you more in the preamble to next week's show. But this is this is your choice. It was almost. your choice. Yes, but it was my reaction. It was my choice to your reaction yeah. to reading this storyline. Next week and the week after, we're going to look at Superman Grounded. Now, I know this doesn't fit into our characters that we've inadvertently overlooked, but we're nothing if not mercurial, well, are we? Yeah. Um, I'll go into more detail as to why we chose it next time. Because there is a very interesting story behind it. Yeah. I think. Um, so, that's it for this week. It was quite er- erratic this yeah. week, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, and we're going to close out this week with uh, the shins and mine is not a high horse, appropriately enough. Bye-bye. And where we're going, we don't need roads. I know, but maybe I'll need a high horse. <laughs> Get off it, you. That confrontation We left the ring in micro hands We shared some information We might not recover from And I'll watch your convictions Held like ice cubes in an ocean You were so poorly cast as a malcontent That just makes more for doubt to slaughter I never knew he thought that Could just say Fun out of the van Don't ask for his opinion They are to drown him in holy water Will you remember my reply When your high horse dies Yeah.
Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production. And all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, which you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.